Welcome to Political Pop Culture, where the important and the not-so-important issues of the day are broken down, discussed, and occasionally even mocked and ridiculed by a couple regular guys from flyover country. I am JP, and with me as always is Irvin the Millennial. And today, we are going to be talking a little bit about who we are, why we're here, and just why you should care about what we have to say. We're also going to get a little bit into the cancel culture and why we use the pseudonyms JP and Irvin the Millennial. Cancel culture is everywhere. It seems like Nobody is immune these days, and you've got people from musicians to actors, from pundits to politicians. The ban hammer is falling on people of all ages, races, orientations, and political persuasions. And the thing is, the cancel culture doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care what you believe. It only cares about making sure that you never, 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 ever under any circumstances, say or do anything that could be even remotely construed as offensive by the ever-changing standards of the far left. So who is JP? Well, I'm an unaffiliated voter who once upon a time was a Republican, but the Republican Party is not what it once was, and it certainly isn't what they claim it's supposed to be now. I am fiscally conservative, and I will say it irritates me to no end that year after year, budget after budget, it seems like our elected officials just borrow more and more and more to pay for programs we don't need, to pay for pork we don't want, and to pay to support nations who, quite frankly, should be sinking or swimming on their own, not at the expense of the American taxpayer. I believe in the Constitution, and as a result, I tend to measure my beliefs by whether or not they would fit into that constitutional structure. The Constitution, in my opinion, is not a living document, as those on the left want you to believe, uh, but I, I believe that it is the framework for how to build and maintain this uh, amazing country. Uh, I also believe that when interpreting the Constitution, it's important for us to understand the mindset of the men who wrote it, what they were going through, and why they chose the words that they chose. And finally, I believe in freedom, actual freedom, not this over-regulated, hyper-taxed nanny state we find ourselves in now. I will always err on the side of freedom because I believe that you, as an American, have the right to pursue your own brand of happiness in any way that you see fit, with the only caveat being that in your pursuit of happiness, you can't impede someone else's ability to pursue their own happiness. And the analogy I like to use, mainly because it's funny and gets a rise out of people, is that in a truly free society, procuring the services of a hooker Perfectly fine. Murdering a hooker? Not perfectly fine. The difference is subtle, but I think most people will pick up on it. How about you, Irvin the Millennial? What do you think? So who is Irvin the Millennial? Irvin the Millennial was once a moderate, believe it or not. What has shaped Irvin the Millennial's now conservative 
libertarian views is that he believes that Barack Obama springboarded radical leftism into the mainstream in 2008. No more were we in a climate where political views meant little when forming personal opinions on people. It became a pillar of how we view someone else. Since then, Irvin the Millennial, as a result to radical out-of-control leftism, has become very very right-leaning, very conservative, very libertarian. Irvin the Millennial does not care what you do in the comfort of your own home. He does care when that becomes when when what you do in the comfort of your own home begins to infringe on other people's liberties. That is Irvin the Millennial in a nutshell there. So why are we here? Why did we want to do this? What was the impetus? What was the reason? And I can tell you, um, I've always been that guy that my friends will call and say, hey, JP, what's your take on this issue? Or they'll send me a, a text or a message on Facebook or whatever, and they'll say, you know, hey, JP, I just saw this going on. What's your take? What's your take? What's your take? And um, while I'm always happy to give my take, I uh, I never really had an interest in giving my take in a public forum. Uh, in fact, uh the more people know about me, the more they would be shocked that uh, that I'm here on uh, on microphone uh, talking freely about how I feel about things. But I do think that it is important that regular guys like myself, like Irvin the Millennial, and I, I consider us both to be pretty down-to-earth Midwestern guys, I think it's important that we are not only able to voice our concerns and our opinions, but I think it is amazing that in the whole of the media, we seem to be this completely unrepresented, or at the very least underrepresented, uh, demographic of people who have what I think are fairly common sense values and, uh, and ideas. And as far as why I wanted to get into this, well, you know, you can blame Irvin the Millennial for that. I was minding my own business at home one evening, and I get a phone call out of nowhere, and Irvin's on the phone, and he's kind of hemming and hawing around, and I can tell he wants to ask me something, but, uh, you know, it took a little while for him to get to the point. And uh, he finally said, you know, what would you think about... And it wasn't even, at that point, it wasn't even as fleshed out as, you know, hey, are you, what would you think about doing a YouTube video? What would you think about doing a podcast? It was more of, you know, what would you think about getting together and doing kind of something? And uh, I don't know, you might have thrown the word podcast out there at first. Uh, but I know that it was, it was something that kind of caught me. In one hand, it caught me off guard. But on the other hand, it was almost like that scene from the Blues Brothers where Jake is, uh, is in the church and the the clouds part and the sun comes in and hits him and he lights up and you know I have seen the light because I had seen the light in that moment because I had been thinking for the past couple of weeks about uh, things that are going on here in the country things that are bothering people that I know personally people that are uh, friends of mine acquaintances of mine and I thought uh, it would be really, really be nice to have some kind of a forum, uh, some kind of a platform where you could get up and speak and talk about these are the things that concern us, or concern me, rather, from my perspective. And um, I don't know, Erwin, Ir- Ir- what uh, what do you think? So it's funny, you guys know the story now. I 
called JP out of out of the blue one day, and I kind of shot him this idea, and we both kind of ran with it, and here we sit. Um, the catalyst of that that thought really was that there's I I I believe that we're very much in in the heat of a culture war, and we are currently losing, and it wasn't acceptable for me to be sitting on the sideline anymore, and that's exactly where I was sitting was on the sideline. And one of one of the reasons that I was at the point was because of one of the topics that we're going to talk about today, which is cancel culture. Um, conservatives in this area, in libertarians and other other people that aren't radical left, almost can't have an opinion anymore. Though they we've got we've got cancel culture mobs that will call your employer and try to get you fired because of something that you said that they might have disagreed with. Well, yeah, and that's just it. It's it's not that you can't have an opinion. It's that you can't have an opinion that doesn't fall lockstep in with that liberal mindset. That's that's exactly right, uh, JP. And the thing about that is, is the they, they truly do believe that they they're doing a public service. They truly do believe that they are they are the good guys fighting the bad evil people that have that could couldn't. Why? Yeah, I, I believe that. I believe I th- I believe that the average the average liberal views themselves as the hero. And I mean, everybody views themselves as the hero of their own story. But I, I sure. do believe that the average liberal sees themselves as, uh, as a force for good. And, uh, you know, I don't think that their, their motives are nefarious. I don't think that they're doing it out of some grand scheme to try and take over the world, not in the sense of, uh, you know, cartoon villain, uh, villains, but the problem is when you, when you try to force your line of thinking, your will onto somebody else, whether you're doing it for what you believe to be the right reasons or not, you're still doing something wrong. Absolutely. And that's, that's the most frustrating thing to me, JP, as well is this false sense of moral superiority they seem to have derived from their political views. I don't believe that anybody's political views make them a a better or worse person, especially in this country. I mean, obviously, Nazi Nazi Germany, obviously, you can can make the case there. But in, in the sense that we're talking about, I don't believe that anybody's views on politics really make them any worse or any, any, any better of a human. However, it really speaks to the idea that I truly believe that liberalism is some people's religion. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely some some of their religion. They have uh, they've turned their back on God in favor of liberalism, and that's not a shot at people who uh, who do or don't believe. What you believe is entirely up to you. What I mean is, um, so many of so many of these people have openly turned their back on what we would consider conventional religion or uh, or worship of a deity in favor of the worship of, like you said, liberalism. That is That has become the, the religion of the far left. And that's, that's just it. It's become the religion of the far left. And the thing is, they'll, they'll open, some of them will openly mock people that tru- truly believe differently in them, like they might choose Christianity as their own religion. There's, there are an awful lot of left leftists that I do believe will mock people that don't don't believe exactly what what they believe. Oh sure, where do you think the flying spaghetti monster came from? You know, it was a obviously an open attempt to 
to mock and belittle people with uh, people of faith, and people who believe in a in a higher power. To speak to the part of the the culture war that I spoke about earlier, um, we we as the non non left party need to embrace that we are in the middle of a culture war. If you turn on Showtime or if you turn on Hulu, if you turn on any any mainstream institution right now, you're going to find that if you're not a hardcore leftist, you will not find anything from anybody that thinks what you do. But on top of that, the people that are religious in said shows are portrayed as crazy people. Well, or the comic relief. Uh, you see that uh, you see that a lot too. I uh, I agree. We are in a culture war, and I also agree that it's a, it's a war that we're losing. And I think the reason that we're losing it is because we are all of us, you, me, everybody listening to this right now, on one level or another, is afraid. And that is the real problem, is that we are afraid. We are afraid of the damage that we are going to incur if we dare have the audacity to speak up and stand up against, uh, against this cancel culture. If we say anything that is perceived as remotely offensive, they're going to come after us, they're going to come after our livelihoods, they're going to come after our families, they're going to come after anything that they can to squeeze us, to hurt us, to shut us up. And that actually kind of takes us right into uh, our main topic for today, which is just discussing the cancel culture and the effect that it's having on our society as a whole. So what is cancel culture? Well, cancel culture is a modern day form of ostracism. It can take the form of negative bombardment in the media or social media, or even by groups of people threatening to boycott the sponsors or supporters of whatever person, people, or entity is being targeted. Where did this cancel culture begin? Now, I'm going to preface this by saying I am going completely off the cuff here. I do have some notes on another incident, but while, uh, while Irvin the Millennial and I were speaking, uh, I actually thought of, uh, of a previous incident. So where this began, the earliest incident that I can personally remember took place back in the 1980s, and that was the wife of then-Senator Al Gore, Tipper Gore, uh, overheard her daughters listening to what she considered to be an offensive uh, song by um, an obscure artist you probably have never heard of by the name of Prince. And Prince had... Uh, a B-side uh, on a single from Purple Rain, and that B-side was Erotic City. And the song, by by today's standards, is actually fairly tame, but in 1984, uh, it you know did include an F-bomb, actually several F-bombs throughout the song, and it was you know it was pretty vulgar. It was uh, it was certainly out there on the edge for that time frame. And when Tipper Gore heard this, she she lost her mind. She she went she went nuts, and ended up founding the uh, PMRC, the Parental Music Resource Center. And while they claim that they weren't about censorship, uh, from the outside looking in, it sure looked like censorship was what they were about. Uh, if you uh, if you go into any record store today, I'm dating myself. Record store. Who goes into a record store? 
if you go into uh, if you go into a Best Buy or you go into any store that sells CDs, uh, you're again dating yourself. Yeah, Nobody I, buys CDs anymore. I, I know it. Well, somebody must because they <laughs> still have them at the store. Um, but uh, if you ever see that label on uh, on an album that says parental advisory explicit lyrics, that was Tipper Gore. That was Tipper Gore and the PMRC that were responsible for getting warning labels put on uh, put on uh, record albums, and eventually now don't they don't they have uh, explicit uh, parental advisory on uh, video on places, games on places like YouTube, um, place video games, yeah. Um, on YouTube, a lot of times you have to check off a box to make sure that basically the internet it goes on the honor system to uh, ensure that you're over 18. Sure, sure. So, um, I don't know if you call that the honor system or the dishonor system the internet runs on. Uh, well, you know, uh, speaking of Tipper Gore, her husband Al, of course, invented the internet. So I'm going to say it's on the dishonor system. Um, although he did save us from Man Bear Pig. So... Very, very important stuff. Indeed, indeed. He's half man, half bear, and half pig. He was super serial about it. Oh, very serial, yes. <laughs> super serial. So anyway, um, in, uh, in, going through, uh, in going through and discussing what, uh, what was the first incident that we could remember of cancel culture, uh, that just kind of sprung up at me. Uh, I don't know how I had forgotten it, but uh, obviously that was 30... Good Lord, 36 years ago that, uh, that the PMRC was really making a stink about uh, lyrics in, in modern music. So, and you notice how that is all done under the guise of we are protecting you from something else. The government clearly sure. knows best here, correct? Well, the government always knows best, Irvin. They always know best because we are the great unwashed. We can't be trusted to, to do things ourselves. Um. So getting back to the point at hand here, where did this begin? Um, the, the PMRC, obviously, again, that was, uh, you know, closer to 40 years ago now. Um, so I, I can't definitively say what the first incident of this current iteration of cancel culture was, but I can tell you when I remember becoming aware of it. And that was in 2007, uh, when radio talk show icon Don Imus was absolutely savaged by the media over some derogatory comments that he and uh, Bernard McGurk made on his uh, on his radio show Imus in the morning, and the comments the comments that they made were directed at the uh, I believe it was the Rutgers uh, women's basketball team. Uh, it was during the NCAA basketball tournament at the time. And the phrase that I remember being repeated over and over and over was uh, Imus referring to the women on the team as, quote, nappy-headed hoes. And the ensuing maelstrom that resulted in, uh, that resulted from those comments was um, Imus was suspended and then fired from his, uh, from his radio show, which was at that point being simulcast on MSNBC. Um, now, Imus did eventually make a comeback, but that scandal did hang over him uh, in one degree or another for that's, the rest of his life. That's what my generation remembers about Don Imus. Like the the, the moment, granted, I am Irvin the Millennial. The, the moment you hear Don Imus, that's what we think of. That's 
that was the career-defining moment for Don Imus, 100%. See, and that's sad because Imus was absolutely an icon. I mean, he was a fixture on on uh, talk radio for decade after decade. I mean, he was Howard Stern before Howard Stern was Howard Stern. And um, that's sad. It's sad that making a mistake, and not even... Not even a mistake. I mean, I, I'm obviously I can't condone what he said, but he was he was making an attempt at humor, and it was obviously a poor attempt. But he was making a, an attempt at humor, and this, of course, is part of the problem with cancel culture: is you you get absolutely lambasted. You may have. You may have good intentions, but you say the wrong thing or what you say comes out wrong. And there might not have been a nefarious intent behind what you say or what you do, but that cancel culture is going to pick it up as if you were intentionally trying to uh, do psychological damage to, to somebody through your words or actions. Well, and the other thing about it is, too, um, Don Imus was quoting a movie. He wasn't, he, he wasn't, this was not something he thought of off the cuff humor wise. Him and McGurk were actually quoting a Spike Lee movie called School Days. That nappy headed hose comment wasn't his. He's oh, referencing see, I something I, yeah, else. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah, he's not, he, he, he didn't just come up with that phrase off the cuff. He, he's referencing something else from pop culture. Well, that makes a little more sense because, uh, uh, you know, Don Imus was certainly a, uh, uh, certainly at the forefront of pop culture. Well, and the uh, the other thing as well is you'll be shocked to hear this as well. Um, I Imus obviously had a lot of opponents, a lot of opponents after that, and he had a lot of people rallying basically to get him off the air, but he did have somebody in his corner, and you'll be shocked. Okay, shock me. Rosie O'Donnell. Rose <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell back Don Imus. Wow. See, I don't I don't remember that. I think of Rosie O'Donnell and I think of that venom filled, hateful uh woman from the view. Yeah, she uh she backed Don Imus and she actually she she basically said he shouldn't be taken off the air basically because he has First Amendment rights. Now do I well, think that mark this down? I mean, I uh, I actually agree with Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell stumbled upon a decent <laughs> yeah. point. What's what's the old saying? You know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah, and you know, with when you look at her argument, is that a is that a First Amendment issue with Don Imus? It's really not. I mean, it's not the government suppressing his speech. However, we are talking about culture. We're talking about cancel culture. We're Indeed. not talking about cancel cancel laws we're talking about a cancel culture here and ultimately culture does in fact at some point spill over into law and you saw it with tipper gore you did you did indeed and you still see it today you still see those uh those parental advisory labels on uh, albums and like we were just talking about uh video games and i don't know if they're on anything else uh that kids may or may not purchase or not so the moment that you talked about the PMRC, I, I really started to think about maybe Section 230 of the Internet Decency Act as well, which basically ensures that Twitter, Facebook, and other places aren't responsible for the things posted on those platforms. I don't know if that could, if you could really tra draw the two, draw a parallel to the two, but I'm kind of, I'm, I was just, it, it came across my mind. What do you think? 
Well, I, I don't think there's there's really a parallel there. I think that uh, that you're talking about apples and oranges. The the Section 230, of course, is going to protect the uh, the big social media companies from being liable for things that people say on their platforms. Whereas the the cancel culture, the well, the PMRC that you were specifically referring to, um, was really more about well, their their shtick, their line was that they weren't trying to censor anybody. They just wanted to make sure that parents were aware of the kind of things that their children were listening to. And we don't think it's right for children to be listening to things that have naughty words in them because naughty words can affect their fragile little minds. Now, speaking of this, with the PMRC, I, when, was, when was the times that, that you, you could hear swear words on TV? Was that ever brought into, brought into question? Because obviously there's still things they can't say on TV, on cable TV. However, well, no, not on cable. Cable, they can say whatever they want. Cable, they can say whatever they want. It's uh, it's broadcast. Broadcast, they're Sorry. limited. Uh, broadcast, they're limited. And uh, I'm and I I would be speaking out of turn if I said I know what they can and can't say. That said, I have heard the word shit used on broadcast television. I heard it. I've heard it spoken on sixty minutes. Um, I don't recall an incident of ever hearing the F word intentionally on, um, on broadcast television, um, other than now accidental. Yes. There was, uh, there was an incident during, I don't remember what award show it was, but slash from guns and roses was on stage and was drunk out of his mind and dropped a few F bombs before they finally pulled him off stage and, and cut away from that might've been the, origin of the delay yeah yeah absolutely well um you know our our president-elect joe biden leaned over a hot mic once and said the f word on national television after the health care bill in 2010 was passed i remember that uh i remember that i wonder if he still thinks it's a big effing deal well i don't know how much uh how much joe biden thinks at all i'm sorry that was that was uncalled for uh you know, I'm sure he thinks quite a bit. He probably just thinks the same thing over and over again because I swear to God that dude has dementia. Um, anyway, getting off track here. I apologize. Um, so we're talking about uh, we're talking about where did this begin? Uh, I think in this in this modern iteration again. I think that we're talking about what happened with Don Imus. Um, Don Imus did end up making a bit of a comeback. He he did end up back on the radio, but of course he never regained. Uh, the following that he had had before the nappy-headed hose incident, and um, and like like you just said, your generation that was his defining moment, and that really makes me sad because I was always a, a pretty big fan of of Don Imus. I really enjoyed his show. So from here, we've talked about what is cancel culture and where did it begin, and I think it uh, behooves us now to talk about uh, who benefits. Is there anybody that benefits from? the cancel culture society. Okay, so who's benefiting from cancel culture? Well, the practice is almost exclusively implemented by those on the far left. And that's not to say that there aren't some incidents where people on the right have tried to shut down people with opposing thoughts, but the modern day idea of canceling people who disagree with you or people who have an opposing opinion, um, that is... uh, you know, that is really a tool of the left wing. My opinion is that nobody is really benefiting from cancel culture. 
And the thing is, is it's not only that it's not bringing us together, which you would think, you know, hey, if we're trying to shut down hate speech or we're trying to shut down, uh, you know, language that we disagree with, you know, you would think that that would bring us closer together as a society when in fact I think it's actually driving a wedge between a lot of people and driving us further apart. I mean, I don't know. What's, what's your take on it? So when you talk about the the underlying thought behind why somebody decides to cancel somebody, as we said earlier in the in the podcast, we truly do believe that the that the left thinks that they are doing good. Like they are they are sure they are uh, tools to do good in society. And honestly, they they the underlying reason they cancel somebody is because they believe what they do to be dangerous or detrimental to society. I'm not certain where they found the where how they came to the conclusion that they are the arbiters of what what speech is and is dangerous is and isn't dangerous but they clearly clearly come to that conclusion well it's it's not just it's not just what speech is or isn't dangerous it's what speech do they or do they not agree with and i think that's where my biggest problem in this lies is there is no there's no real consistency it isn't there's set rules of what's right, what's wrong. You can say this, you can't say that. That would be bad enough. But it's not that. It's if somebody listening to you, if somebody listening to this podcast right now perceives that we said something in a certain way or that I felt like they meant this, even if that's clearly not the way we meant it, Hey, you're 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 now at risk of being canceled. There aren't there aren't real hard and fast rules. And like I said, that in itself would be bad enough because rules on speech are what uh, a, a, a an idol of mine by the name of George Carlin would call bullshit. Uh, but. Basically, what you say is they use intangible things to measure what is and isn't intangible. That's a perfect word. Perfect word for it. Yes. They absolutely use an intangible method metric. to determine yeah, metric to determine what is or is not acceptable. What is or is not uh, behavior or verbiage that will be uh, vilified, attacked and or canceled. And uh, so, like I said, I, I feel like, uh, you know, the question is, who is benefiting from this cancel culture? And, uh, you know, I originally said, I, I don't think anybody's benefiting because it's driving us as a society further apart. But, you know, the more I think about it, I, I take it back. I think that there is someone benefiting. And I think that someone is any politician who would thrive in an environment of conflict and division. And who is it that benefits in a an environment of uh, of conflict and division? Generally speaking, that's that's not going to be your Reagan conservatives. Um, you know, that's going to be your people like, and I hate to even mention her name, uh, but uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who uh, I don't know if anybody has has watched my take on YouTube. I did have a. I did have a lovely special on Ms. Uh, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez. You should definitely go check it out. Um, but people like her benefit. People, people that thrive on playing the victim card. 
uh, people that want to act like they're being victimized in order to gain sympathy or attention, those are the people who are benefiting from cancel culture. And with as much intersectionality as they've preached, since they can basically put everybody in boxes, um, they can then pin one box after after off of another and benefit politically as well. So I see what you're saying there, JP. All right. So, uh, you know, from there, uh, I mean, uh, really, we're talking then about what is the impact? What is the impact on a free society? What is the impact that the cancel culture is having on uh, on society in general? So what is the impact on a free society? Well, we're using fake names here, JP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. JP and Irvin the Millennial. We're using pseudonyms to do this podcast. And why are we using pseudonyms to do this podcast? Now, I will tell you, I am considerably less concerned about this than Irvin the Millennial, but Irvin the Millennial's got a really good job. And uh, you know, I am I'm self-employed. You you can't hurt my business because you know, my business, uh, people don't care what my politics are. But Irvin the Millennial, I mean, you talk uh, talk about uh, your motivation here. And this was, and, and, and I just want to set you up here. When, when you first called me about starting this podcast, one of the things that you said right away was, I can't use my real name. Why, Irvin the Millennial, can you not use your real name? So I'm glad you asked that question there, JP. Um, the thing about this whole, this whole cancel culture really is, and it really stemmed why I did it, why, why I really did a couple things. So when I first got the job that I have now, I deleted all social media. I wanted as little footprint on the internet as physically and humanely possible. Yeah. And I, I noticed that by the way, you never told me that you were canceling <laughs> your social media just one day. Holy shnike, Irvin, the millennial is gone. So I, I wanted as little footprint because I know that comp corporations are going to look, look back at Facebook pages, Twitter, Instagram. Not that I had anything nefarious on there. Um, I did express my political beliefs quite regularly on those platforms. Well, that's enough. That's enough. If your political beliefs are anything other than lockstep with the far left, you will... Uh, now, you will and, be canceled. Yeah, and and I've got an example of that, and I'm sorry to I'm sorry to interrupt. I know I'm going off on a tangent. I'm actually going back a couple of uh, a couple of uh, questions ago. But even if even if people agree with you generally, they will still cancel you if you say something that they feel is out of line. And a great example of that was a, a tweet from uh, J.K. Rowling, who is a you know, and has been a darling of the left wing. And she sent out a tweet. Uh, she sent out a tweet that was in support of a woman who lost her job because she had the audacity, this woman had the audacity to make comments about transgender women aren't actually women. They're men. And J.K. Rowling put out a post uh, or, or sent out a tweet on Twitter uh, expressing support for this woman. 
She didn't say anything negative about transgender people. She didn't say anything derogatory or inflammatory. But because she supported someone who lost their job for telling the truth as a result of cancel culture, she was, in fact, canceled. And if they can do it to J.K. Rowling, who is the biggest author of our lifetime, uh, they can do it to anybody. I apologize. I took over your, uh, no, that's, I, I, I appreciate your thoughts there. And honestly, like first, first and foremost, I want to make sure that we're being clear as well. Companies have every right to not hire somebody or hire somebody based on what, based on whatever they want to sure, Co- of course. companies can, companies can do whatever they want to. And I want to be clear. We are not talking about the legalities of, a cancel culture. We are talking about. I'm sorry. We're we're not talking about legalities. We are talking simply about culture here, um, and the culture right now really is. If you express a conservative thought, you might not be hireable. You may be fireable. But on top of that, and the reason for that really is, is conservatives engage in capitalism. And they don't even realize it. Nike has has done an awful lot of things that conservatives would completely disagree with. Starbucks has said some things that that uh, that people would conservative people would completely disagree with. Target as well. But the thing is, conservatives still go to those places because we're conservatives and we engage in capitalism. They have good products for good prices, so we engage in capitalism. The left will not do that because the left is going to research every single thing that that company is about before they even spend a dime. Is that wrong? No. Is it good culturally? Probably not. Because honestly, do we truly want to live in a culture where we have to ensure that somebody's politics are right before we do business with that person, before they sit down at our table? Is this really where we're getting to? Well, it's, I, I, I'd take it a step further and say, not only is it not good for society, I don't think it's good for the individual. I think that, and and I'm going to preface this by saying I am not a psychologist, I am not a psychiatrist, I am not a therapist. Uh, I'm just a guy uh, who who tends to think fairly rationally. But I would think that if you are so obsessed over the the minutiae that makes up what may or may not make up the political ideology of somebody who put together a package of a product that you may or may not want to buy. To me, that just seems like you're falling into a trap of constantly overanalyzing and you're at that point looking for negativity. And this is something that I've told my kids. If you go, if you wake up in the morning, if you wake up in the morning in a bad mood and you know, you are full of anger. What are you going to find in the people that you interact with that day? Well, you're going to find angry people because that's what you see. That's what you're looking for. That's what you feel. You need to, uh, what's the term that they use? You know, rage dump. You need to, you need to get rid of that crap and you need to try and see the good in people. You need to try and see the bright side. You know, that's what my grandmother would have said. Look on the bright side. Well, I know that sounds a little old-fashioned and maybe even a little hokey, but the fact of the matter is, if you look for negativity, racism, you see that all the time, uh, people talking about the microaggressions for racism and all of that. If you are looking for racism, guess what you're going to find? 
you're going to see it everywhere, even where it doesn't really exist. And it's the same thing with this, this whole cancel culture. If you are looking for things to be offended by, you will have no shortage of things to be offended by. And we have gotten to a point where it has become complete and utter insanity. When, you know, it's, it's one thing to complain about the Washington Redskins and uh, forcing them to change their name, which I disagree with, by the way. I think that they had the right to, to keep their name whatever the hell they wanted it to be. That's an argument you can at least see. Yeah, exactly. You can see the argument. But the flip side of that, when, when, you, have, uh, when you have left-wing nut jobs, uh, no offense to the left-wing nut jobs out there. Or nut jobs. What, what, oh, yeah, yeah, we're all nut jobs. <laughs> or, uh, or regular nut jobs. Have you, have, you should meet my mother. Uh, so the, uh, the left-wing nut jobs that went after Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's, not, not a bastion for conservative thought if you've ever walked into a Trader Joe's. But seriously, you had people on the left wanting to cancel Trader Joe's because of potentially offensive labels on some of their products. Yeah, they were well. Well, they might be appropriating somebody's culture, or, or, or showing showing somebody else's culture in a manner which is maybe a little derogatory, and we can't have that. Yeah, um, and what you just kind of said there, JP, um, goes to speaks to a thought that I've had for a while as well to where when you look at some of these people that truly are looking for these things within their within their day to day but also looking at somebody's politics before they make any decision about who they do business with who they who they associate with or what they do anything with it really strikes me as that this isn't your politics anymore this is your this is your religion this is your deity oh yeah absolutely and, and here's the thing. I don't have an issue with looking... Uh, let me back up. I don't have an issue with you preferring to do business with somebody who is like-minded. Most certainly. I don't have an issue with that. I do have an issue where you say, well, this, this company supported a candidate that I didn't approve of, so I'm just not only not going to, to do business with them... But I'm going to start a campaign to try can. and shut them down. Yeah, nobody else can do business with them either because that's the way I feel. And uh, I have, uh, I do have an issue with that. Well, and it goes back to what we both said that we both are about. And really, you, I, I don't really care what anybody does in the in the comfort of their own home behind closed doors until it infringes on everybody else and at that point do business with whoever you want to that's fine with me if you if you if you believe in everything that trader joe's is about and that's where you do you 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 get your groceries fine good great however when you when, when you're telling me where i can and can't get my groceries because of a, of a belief that you have that's when i have the issue yeah and i and i think that obviously brings us right back to the whole crux of the cancel culture. And that is, as you said at the beginning, you know, we're in a, we're in a culture war and it's a war that we're losing. And by we, I don't mean conservatives because I don't consider myself to be a conservative. I'm definitely more moderate. When I say we are losing, or when you say we are losing, what I hear is we as a society are losing. We as a people 
uh, are losing. And I don't mean any particular race or religion. I mean, we as a people, the people of the United States, we are losing. Because if everybody is forced to conform, if everybody is forced to, to live inside the lines, then where's the individuality? Where's the uniqueness? Where is the uniqueness that made the United States the amazing nation that it, uh, that it has always been? Uh, I think that cancel, the cancel culture is going to end up canceling itself if the people who are perpetrating it aren't careful. So today we have introduced ourselves, uh, JP and Irvin the Millennial. We've told you a little bit about why we're here. We've told you why we are using the pseudonyms, J JP and Irvin the Millennial. And that, of course, is because of the cancel culture. We've talked about what the cancel culture is, where we think it, uh, it really took off here in, uh, in this modern iteration, and uh, who's benefiting from the cancel culture. Uh, it's been an interesting show. What's been the impact on the free on a free society? What is the continuing impact? Obviously, our conclusion that this is not a good thing. It's not a good thing for America. It's not a good thing for the world. And we don't think it's a good thing for you, me, Irvin, or anybody else. But that's our opinion. That doesn't mean it's right. And we'd love to hear your opinion. And you can give us your opinion by connecting with us by joining the cult at Pol Pop Cult on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For Irvin the Millennial, I am JP. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next time.